listening to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. What's going on, lacrosse fans? Welcome to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Today is Thursday, September 16, and I'm your host, Ryan Holstbus. And whether you are watching on YouTube or listening on any podcast platform, we are glad that you're here as we get set to look ahead to championship lacrosse from Washington, D.C. with a noon Eastern start live on NBC as the Whipsnakes and the Chaos will meet for the second consecutive championship game this Sunday. So make sure to mark your calendars if you have not already. Again, noon Eastern start, 9 a.m. Pacific. And today we'll be looking ahead to that game as the Whipsnakes chase their third consecutive title while the Chaos look to become the first team other than the Whipsnakes to win this PLL championship game. Also ahead of Sunday's championship game on Friday night, the league will announce the regular season award winners. So we'll be making our predictions looking ahead to that. And as in we, I mean myself, Jordan Johnson and Austin Owen, both are to my left. Gentlemen, welcome to GLE. Jordan, it's great to have you back. A huge week already of news coming in throughout the lacrosse world. We're going to try to get to all of it today. But PLO Championship game this weekend, Whipsnakes and Chaos from our nation's capital. Jordan, how excited are we for this weekend? Really excited, man. It's been a huge week so far. Um, you know, obviously with all the news and everything going on. And then it's championship weekend, maybe. So can't get much more hype than that, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Austin, you're, you're traveling very soon for this game. I'd have to imagine you're pumped to see some live lacrosse. What are you looking forward to most here uh, during this trip? I feel like you're looking forward to getting rid of me. It seems like I've been uh, you've been stuck with me on these shows for the past month and a half now, so I apologize for that. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get the flight over with. I'm not a big flying guy, but once okay. I'm there, we're, we're locked in. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the Oz. I'm looking forward to as much as I don't like to talk about them. The Whip Snakes will be fun to watch live. So, hey, I won't complain about live lacrosse. And then you're getting in Friday. You're going to this awards ceremony yeah. Friday night. So that's going to be a big event there as well. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. I don't, I don't, I don't have any inside scoop, unfortunately, on the awards. I don't have that much pull, but uh, yeah, it should be good. We'll, uh, you know, maybe we'll get to see our boy Treasy in person. I don't know yet. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I haven't talked to him yet, so we'll see if we can get uh, talk to our guy in person. He is up for one of these awards, which we will talk about in a little bit as we're very excited for this weekend with the 2021 PLL Championship game coming to us on Sunday. But a lot of big news coming in throughout this week, and we are recording this on Wednesday night. So middle of the week, hopefully nothing new follows this upload as we look ahead to this Sunday's Championship game. But probably the biggest news story of the week and really in the league and really in the sports history was the retirement of PLL co-founder and CMO Paul Rabel from his professional lacrosse playing career on Tuesday as after 14 seasons across three leagues and nine teams and internationally, the two-time MLO champion, two-time World Lacrosse gold medalist, two-time NCAA champion at Johns Hopkins. He's a two-time MLL MVP, three-time NCAA first-team All-American, along with a 2010 World Lacrosse MVP and an NLL championship with 14 total All-Star appearances, 12 between the MLL and the PLL, and nine All-Pro seasons with possibly a uh, 10th year to cap it off 
coming in 2021. Kansas midfielder Paul Rabel has retired from what is a Hall of Fame professional lacrosse playing career, which will be honored in those five seasons when he eventually uh, becomes eligible. But all of those achievements, they just come on the playing field. It doesn't even paint that entire picture of the impact that Paul Rabel has made uh, off the field. Austin, he has transcended the game to new heights. And I think the saying goes something like, leave it better than you left it. Paul Rabel is not going anywhere. He'll continue to take this game and grow this game to places that it's never been with it absolutely in a better place now, though, than it was when he found it. But Austin, an incredible, a magnificent, a legendary uh, lacrosse playing career has come to an end here for Paul Rabel. Yeah, it's one of those events in the sports history where it's like, you know, where were you when the Gate Brothers retired? Where were you when, you know, Mark Millen, Tom Marichek, guys like that? all retired. I'm speaking of the field guys like John Taveras comes to mind for me when I think of the NLL game, Jim Veltman as well, a rock guy. I can go on forever about, you know, I think you know what I'm getting at and leaving the sport in a better place than you found it is certainly what Paul Rabel has done. I think it, it obviously shows within the PLL, but I think just in terms of showing from a social media standpoint, the heights that an athlete can get to in this sport and how they can market themselves. Paul Rabel was a Red Bull athlete coming out of college. Like that, he's still the only person that I can think of off the top of my head in lacrosse that has a Red Bull sponsorship. He was with New Balance, he was with Warrior, he was with like out of college because he was so marketable and such a great player on top of that. And I think, you know, love him or hate him. I know Rabel's a bit of a lightning rod when it comes to either criticism or praise. He, he changed when you're as good as he is, though, that that happens. Yeah. You got you got to be able to accept that he's done it great. Sorry, yeah. I put you off there. No, you're all good. He, uh, what I was saying is just love him or hate him. He's arguably the best lacrosse player in the history of our sport from an all-around standpoint he is the best in terms of marketability in terms of being an absolute superstar he is the biggest superstar ever in lacrosse he, he is guys i don't even they don't even watch lacrosse if you say paul rabel's name they know it that's how big of a deal he is so you know what i i have a little anecdote that i could get on about but i feel like i'll hold on to it for a day that's sort of you know i won't get too sappy here but we'll be you know, I, met, I, I met Paul Rabel when he was a rookie or in his second year in the NLL. And he was extremely kind back then. And I'm sure like, you know, at the time he probably didn't think of it as more than just, you know, doing what he should be doing and saying hi and signing autographs for a little kid. But it's like from a little kid from Toronto, like I think I said it on Twitter, like he was the guy in field lacrosse. I turned on the lacrosse championships every year and he was there. It was him and Matt Donowski. And to meet him, it was like, I don't want to say meeting Wayne Gretzky, but as like he, you knew he was a superstar the second you met him and you yeah. could feel that sort of presence around him. So congratulations on a fantastic career. I mean, I'm sure he would have liked to finish it off with the PLL championship. He had a hell of a season and a bounce back from, you know, 2020 where a lot of people had written him off and he proved a lot of people wrong this year. So not quite going out on top, but it's, you know, it's like you guys have said, he's left it in a better place than he found it. And he's just going to continue to allow the sport to grow to heights we've never seen before in the next few years. I look at this as as just the start. Like his playing career, he's done all this this great stuff. That's just the start. And then even for me, like I I kind of grew up as as more of a baseball, more soccer. When I made that transition to lacrosse, first person you find is Paul Rabel. The first kind of instructional kind of videos because that that's what he was making at the time was was Paul Rabel and kind of him going through his pro lacrosse playing career but it's going to be different watching this game and not seeing him out on the field out there making plays flashing all over the field but he'll continue in that role as CMO continuing to build the league as co-founder and we're expecting even bigger things ahead as 
me and Austin just said. And as I'd imagine we see a Hall of Fame post-playing career coming in this next chapter for Paul Rabel and Jordan. I'm a huge fan of this new initiative that he will be starting in this next calendar year as Goals for Greatness will look to resource across goals and communities throughout the country and starting in 2023 going internationally. And as someone who had this same problem, I grew up in a town that was huge soccer, big basketball, huge baseball town. There's like six baseball fields at the one big field complex in my town, big batting cages. They'd have soccer goals out there during the summer and then, you know, throughout the fall, but zero lacrosse goals, not one lacrosse goal. I had to get one of those, those set up foldable ones uh, mm -hmm. so that I could start taking shots when I got into high school and stuff. So for towns like mine and then other communities that don't have lacrosse goals, this is a phenomenal initiative, especially when this goes internationally, trying to grow the game beyond our borders, beyond our North American borders, hopefully making the game, as Paul said, more recognizable and accessible for those though that, that don't have these resources or, or the funding for the resources needed to play. So, Jordan, just a great initiative all around. Very excited to see uh, where this can go. Yeah, 1,000%. You hit it on the head. I mean, this initiative is – one of many he's done, right? And I think that speaks to Paul's personality and in the sense that nobody's too big for him, nobody's too little for him. You know, you guys have had your own anecdotes about him. I remember when I first got into this industry, um, yeah, he was one of the first reasons I started, one of the first highlights I started watching, one of the first players I got to cover, whatnot. And even just, I got a text from him a couple of years ago. There's just like, keep your head moving, keep it going. You know, just the little things that mean like that. You know, I consider myself a nobody, you know, <clears throat> and for him just to take a couple seconds out of his day, just to do that, you know, it speaks to the kind of person he is. And you even look at him so socially, you know, I'm just going to keep it real with you guys. He's a rich white man in a white and what's considered a predominantly white sport, all of the things that he's done socially, he didn't have to do, right? He could have stayed status quo, made his money, and he would have been fine, and nobody would have turned a second eye. He put a lot on the line, not only to start the PLL, but to help. I've heard stories of him going out and helping guys get jobs full-time so that they can focus on lacrosse. And the things that he's done socially within his own foundation to help kids with learning disabilities, right? Even the stance that he's taken politically, socially, and whatnot. He's put sponsorship dollars on the line for these. He's put a lot of his fan base on the line. And I don't think people realize that, too, is, you know, especially in this era where everybody has an opinion on a social issue, I don't think people realize how much these bigger names put on the line and Paul being in his position, he took on a big risk, you know, with a lot that he's done and you have to commend him for that. You know, I see people going up and down the timeline on Twitter, Instagram comments, like Paul, this Paul, that whatever. When you look at the broad sport of the game, he changed it, right? That's the understatement, but he set the sport up for long-term success and probably accelerated it in my opinion that it was going because <clears throat> you know to even take outside of you know starting the PLL and whatnot we uh, we know what that's done we know what that's going to do you guys mentioned it him being a Red Bull athlete him getting the sponsorship dollars him being able to put himself on a camera 
in front of people to showcase the growth of social media and how you can use it to market yourself. And like I said, he hasn't just done this for himself. You see it with other guys. You know, he's mentored other players and allowed them to build their own brands and taking them under his wing and whatnot. Not only just using it for his own benefit, but for the greater good. You know, and I tweeted about it the other day. Paul, just to kind of finish this off, Paul Rabel is the walking definition of what it means to be more than an athlete. And that's what I love about him the most. That's what I'll remember him for as a player. And now moving on in this transition as a full-time executive is that he's always been more than an athlete. Absolutely. And we're definitely expecting him to uh, continue to just grow this game to new heights, heights that we haven't seen this game get to uh, ever before. And obviously uh, that's great for our sport, great for, for what we're trying to do and, and covering the sport. And obviously that just continues to expand and grow. We'll have much more on the retirement of one of the greatest uh, lacrosse players to ever play the game and absolutely the biggest face uh, the sport has ever had and might ever have in Paul Rabel, either at the end of next week or the beginning of the week after following this weekend's game. We'll have a big season wrap-up show. We'll talk through retirement of Rabel, the great Kyle Harrison, also Joel White and John Galloway as their impacts on the game also cannot be a little overlooked. And along with Nick Asello, who also retired ahead of the season, we're expecting their impacts on the sport to continue and to grow the game for the better in the process. But Austin Jordan, let's continue on with today's show. And before we get to Sunday's championship game, let's look ahead to Friday night as the league will host its end of season awards ceremony and the 2021 PLL award winners will be announced, determined by the PLL lacrosse advisory board, the PLL front office and the league media. But let's make some predictions here. And I have these awards kind of grouped by position, sort of. We'll spend some time on some, less time on others. And let's start with the non-positional awards, which are being awarded for the first time since the inaugural season back in 2019, we have the Sportsmanship Award, the Humanitarian Award, the Teammate Award, and the Leadership Award. All very honorable uh, accomplishments, especially the Humanitarian Award. I would really love the league to kind of make this a focus, sort of like the NFL and the Walter Payton Man of the Year. That would be awesome, I think, in my opinion. But quick predictions here for the Sportsmanship Award. We have the Archers goalie Adam Gittleman, the 2020 MVP, Whipsnakes attackman Zed Williams, and Atlas attackman Eric Law who is my selection to win this award, Eric Law, after leading the Atlas to the semifinals. But, Jordan, who do you have as your Sportsmanship Award recipient? I'm right there with you and Eric Law. You know, these non-positional awards, you can really go you can really go either way with them. When I look at a guy like Eric Law, I look at him and say, what was the situation he was put in, right? You know, throughout his career, he's not never been, quote-unquote, the guy on his teams. And he's never complained about it. He's never had an issue. He's not a huge ego guy. He shows up, goes to work, does whatever he can, and he plays his role, right? He does it very well at that, you know. And <clears throat> when I think of a guy like Eric Law, he's been on some bad teams. I'm just going to say it, like, but yet you never hear a peep from him whatsoever. And when you talk about a teammate like that, that's able to kind of go through adversity and just kind of, I don't want to say put up with it, but kind of just be the guy that kind of rides the ship through it. That kind of leads the locker room through it. I, that's what I think of with Eric law and sort of, and even with the Atlas over the last three seasons, you know, an under very underrated part is his leadership. 
and it, uh, throughout these years and kind of getting them to that turnaround that they had this year. So my pick for that is going to be Eric Law. On the same page there with Eric Law, obviously uh, Gittleman and uh, our other finalist, Zed Williams, definitely uh, we'll see how that obviously folds. But we, you know, Jordan, we got Eric Law. The Humanitarian Award recognizes the work done off the field to better the game of lacrosse while also helping our surrounding communities in need. Eric Law is also a finalist for this award, along with the now retired, uh, the now retired, excuse me, Kyle Harrison and Cannons attackman Lyle Thompson, who has spent much of the year bringing attention to the terrifying findings of the unmarked graves at Indigenous schools in Canada, as well as continuing to bring awareness to Indigenous American rights. Thompson is my pick for this award, but Austin, that doesn't overshadow the great things that Kyle Harrison and Eric Law are doing and have done in their communities. But I have uh, Lyle Thompson as my pick for this award. Who do you have as your humanitarian of the year? Um, I think that you have it right. Ryan and I, uh, your reasoning is absolutely why Lyle Thompson should win it. Um, and that's not to say, you know, anything about Kyle Harrison, anything about Eric Law. I think Kyle Harrison's done a big thing as well with helping to be one of the founding members of the Black Lacrosse Alliance. And that's brought a lot of things, you know, in talking to um, a number of, uh, you know, black athletes and black lacrosse players this year. I talked to Miles Thompson, uh, Dane Smith. I just recently talked to Latrell. They're all part of the BLA. And it's such a powerful group full of individuals that, are really taking the sport in the direction it needs to go and having conversations that need to be had. And I don't want to, you know, talk on this. I think we've been over this in past episodes. I'm, I'm a white man. I don't need to talk about the, the plight of people that are not white. That is not my place to do that. Um, but he's doing an amazing thing. And the same thing goes for Lyle Thompson. Um, I think I've spoken on this show about the tragedy that indigenous communities have faced around North America, but specifically in Canada um with the uh unmarked graves sorry i'm trying to think of how to even go about this in a way that's you know fair to the people that are involved the finding of unmarked graves and mass graves at residential schools is horrific um it's truly a black mark on canada and it had a lot of people sort of second guessing how much love they had for canada in some circles and it's certainly in my circle um, I sort of look at my country a little bit differently now uh, that this has sort of come about. And Lyle's done a great job, uh, and he's always done a great job of speaking out, um, whether it was, you know, uh, the incident with his braid that happened in Philadelphia uh, when the announcer said a, a thing that should never be said about him. He handled it with grace. He handled it with professionalism. He is the perfect professional when it comes to these sort of issues, and he brings so much clarity and perspective to these things with such ease and such professionalism. I, I love Lyle Thompson um, and I'm going on for a while about this, but it's an issue that really shook a lot of people. And I think he's done a great job. You know, the league's done a great job as well with, with the straps on the helmets, but I think Lyle wearing the ribbon in his braid as well has done a fantastic job of just bringing a little subtle awareness you know, people didn't pick up on it until a couple games in, but now people really know what it's about and talking about it on the broadcast. And that really brings, you know, awareness to a lot of people, especially in the States that might not have known what happened here in Canada. So it's a long way of getting to a short answer of saying Lyle, Lyle Thompson definitely deserves the humanitarian award. Um, respect to Kyle Harrison and Eric Law, but I think there's sort of one man that is above them at the moment when it comes to this award. 
as we saw last summer with with the Black Lives Matter protests, it's all about bringing the conversations to the forefront. Lyle Thompson able uh, to help do that here as we kind of went through a rough patch there in this summer when those uh, unmarked graves started to be uh, found throughout Canada. So definitely something uh, that we wanted to bring attention to. We definitely want to continue to bring attention to it. Uh, and Lyle Thompson has done a great job doing that. The teammate award finalists were voted on by the players as well as all of these award finalists were voted on. And this, as the title implies, recognizes the best teammate in the league. The finalists are Chaos defensive midfielder Mark Lassini, Redwoods goalie Jack Kelly, and Waterdogs midfielder Mikey Schlosser, friend of the show. And because of that, He's my selection for this teammate award. Pretty plain and simple. Austin, who is your teammate of the of the uh, of the year? I'm a big Mikey Schlosser guy, so I'm going to go with him. I can't vote against that guy. He's a sweetheart. The final of our four notable non-positional awards is the Leadership Award, which has three notable names in Water Dogs defensive midfielder Stephen DiNapoli, Chaos goalie Blaze Reardon, and Redwoods midfielder Kyle Harrison. And Jordan, I think it's safe to say that the now retired Harrison wins this award. Austin had some great things uh, to say there as for, for everything that he's doing with the black lacrosse alliance. Obviously, you know, we talk about Paul Rabel, uh, you know, bringing the sport to new heights. These guys, uh, Josh Byrne, Miles Jones, guys that we've talked to uh, in the past. You brought up a few names in, in Dane Smith, Kyle Harrison, the great things that they're doing to help transcend the sport and bring it uh, to really just to new communities and new people, obviously, uh, to get to play this great game. Uh, but for all the great things that he's done for this sport, both on and off the field, all the great things that he'll continue to do watching from the sidelines, I think it's safe to say Kyle Harrison has this award locked up. 1,000%. Um, you know, just the thing, the little things that Kyle Harrison does within the locker room, right? He's sort of a manager of all people. Um, he can deal with different types of personalities and bring them together. He's always the guy that's there to do the little things, right? <clears throat> Just And then you even take it outside of the locker room. You know, he's – I've heard multiple guys talk about how, you know, he's almost an assistant coach on the field, and he was like that for a lot of his career. And just his knowledge and lacrosse IQ of the game is unmatched. Then you take that off the field and everything that he's done, I'll have to go over it again. You guys have already done that. And then some, he's always there for everybody like Paul Rabel, whether you're the richest guy on the world or you're the janitor, uh, you know, Kyle's there to support you no matter what, if he gets to know you, he's always going to be there. And even if you don't know him, he always, and he chooses the right, things to do and say and he's not he doesn't just speak bullshit i without putting it for lack of a better word you know he speaks with a purpose and when kyle speaks everyone listens right and so to command that kind of respect proves how much of a leader that you know he is and how much respect he's garnered over the years just because of his personality. I mean, to sum it all up, he does things the right way. And that's why he's my pick for this award. Like Ray, but we expect Harrison uh, to continue uh, to make a huge impact on this game and, and continue to help grow the game here, both professionally to the youth level, to the college level, high school level. We expect them both to uh, continue to, to grow this game. Uh, and, and as you were saying there, it's, it's, just the, the impact that he's made is is just beyond words. 
And like I said, we expect them both to continue making great impacts. Let's move on to the positional awards. And we're going to start with the positions that don't have an MVP finalist. So the defensive player, LSM, short stick defense, and the face-off athlete of the year. We'll start with the defense. And we have five finalists in the Water Dogs, Liam Burns, who led the league and caused turnovers, the Archers, Graham Hostick, and the Redwoods, Garrett Eppel, both of whom finished in the top five and caused turnovers. We also have Jack Rowlett of the Chaos, who has helped lead to a ch- lead his team to a second consecutive championship in the Whipsnakes, Matt Dunn, who won this award a year ago, was a finalist for it in 2019, and he won it in his final season in the MLL in 2018. Austin, my pick is Hasek, the entry draft's second overall selection this offseason. He shut down some of the game's biggest names, playing for the best defensive unit in the league. But who's your pick for the defensive player of the year? Um, you know, I would say that it was Hasek only because when I meet him in Halifax, I don't want him to snap me in half, but he's just the best defender in the league this year. So it's not even out of fear. I am fearful of the man because he is farm strong and frightening, but Graham Hasek's a monster. Um, you know, the hype was real. I think that was the biggest thing is, you know, he was only, (laughs) he only sort of joined the player pool about two three days before the the entry a couple draft. hours, couple hours yeah. before the draft <laughs> it was a little sooner than lyle but a little <laughs> you know not not a week or but the hype was crazy for him and if you're hyped as a defender you know especially with the talent pool that you have around you in this league you're either going to live up to it or you're going to fall flat on your face and i didn't think for a second that the latter was going to be something graham hosick did um he wasn't the top matchup defender for the team right off the bat. I don't believe, I think they sort of worked him into that role, but you you saw it sort of click for him halfway through the season or not even halfway, like a couple games in, he started just tossing guys left and right. He started playing like the cyborg. He started playing like the guy that just picks up grown men and makes them look like children in the NLL. And now, you know, everybody saw him in the MLL. It's not like he was this big, you know, kept secret. He was the top matchup guy for Canada at the World Games. So it's not like he was coming in with nobody knowing who he was. But at the same time, I don't think anybody saw him babying grown men like he was this year. Like, he, he's just, he's spectacular. He's an absolute specimen, that guy. And I can't wait to see him continue to grow within this Archer's defense because he's the guy now. Um, and that's scary because they still have Matt McMahon. They still have Warren Jeffrey. They still have, you know, Scott Radliff. The defense is legit, man. So, he's he's a man he's a man amongst boys honestly when he's on defense and he's a scary individual to play against jared connor's fifth overall draft selection didn't even get to play that much behind scott ratliff this defense for the archers top defense in the league this season expecting them uh to continue uh in years to come but sticking with the defense let's talk lsms as michael Earhart was tied for second in the league among lsms in ground balls with ryland reese finishing among the top five playing on that dominant water dogs face-off unit and Scott Ratliff also had a very productive season with the Archers. But sort of a surprise, though, the Atlas is Craig Chick did not finish as a finalist. And even more surprising was that Joel White, the leader in ground balls among LSMs, also missed the cut. But among these three finalists, my pick is who I believe to be the next best LSM in the world, if he isn't already in Ryland Reese. But, Jordan, who's your LSM of the year? Yeah, I, I agree with you right there. Um, six this for by six. Far, right six for six. Let's go. <laughs> this by far was uh, Ryland Reese's best season as a pro. You just look at his evolution um, coming from Team Canada, where, you know, obviously he had great world games, but overall, just defensively, you know, if he's needed, he can cover the top guy. Um, offensively, 
just in transition and with his two point ability with Courier, um, you know, he's just he's one of the most athletic guys in the league, and I don't think enough people give him credit for that. Um, this year, kind of with the bigger spotlight, I think a lot of newer fans got to see what he can really do. And, you know, the stats may not be as great as somebody like a Michael Earhart or Scott Ratliff from year to year. But when you talk about total team impact at, at his position, Rylan Reese is that guy for me. The 2018 uh, first team all world at, at those 2018 world games with Team Canada as a, just, I believe, a, a 19 or 20 year old at the time. I remember I talked about it with him a couple times uh, when he's joined this show, past shows. Uh, but Ryland Reese, my pick for this award, Jordan's pick for this award as he kind of continues to transcend as one of the top uh, LSMs in this league and in pro lacrosse defense again this time the short stick defensive midfield as we have three quote-unquote rookies joining 2020 mlo defensive player of the year zach goodrich and two of those rookies are the alice's danny logan and the chrome's ryan terrafenko both drafted in the second round of this year's college draft and then not exactly a rookie as he now has a few seasons of professional lacrosse under his belt in the nll but latrell harris the fourth finalist for this award, award and Austin, I know you're, you're a Latrell Trezzy guy. I have the rookie Danny Logan, though, taking home this award, but I know your guy Trezzy is up for this thing as well. A phenomenal first season in the PLL. Do you have him listed as your best SD, uh, SSDM in 2021? Can you give me the nominees again? I'm sorry you cut out for a sec for me. My bad. Danny Logan, no, Ryan Tarafenko, Zach Goodrich, the 2020 MLL MVP, and our guy Trezzy. You're you're gonna make me do this, eh? You're gonna make me commit the uh, the betrayal of the season. Um, I'm I don't have Danny Logan. Um, okay. and I don't have Latrell Harris. Cool. Um, I think I know where you're headed with this. But. I'm not. I'm also gonna get in, in shit from Ryan Tarafenko, but it, it's that Goodrich for me. Um, I think he's a guy that you know the numbers might not have been there this year. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but in talking to Sean Quirk during the season uh, it's everything he said pre-draft is true he's a guy that the cannons trust to guard any single player on this field regardless of who it is they'll put him if lyle thompson was on the other team he wasn't playing for the cannons they'd stick him on him at x like they don't care he can he can put anyone on an island and he can play fantastic um having said that you know i don't have a solid candidate i say zach goodrich i could be very wrong i don't know ryan tarafanko had a fantastic season Latrell had a fantastic season, you know, he's my guy, but I think he comes in just, he's sort of a numbers game thing because you already had Dom and Moose there that he didn't quite get the exposure of a Terrafenko or a Logan or a Goodrich. Um, and that's a good thing for the archers, obviously <laughs> that your brand new short stick defensive midfielder is nominated for the best award for the position at the end of the year. And he was your third option for most of the year. Um, I just think Zach Goodrich is a dominant force on defense, similar to Hasek. I think you can put him on anybody on the field and be confident that he can guard them. So from that sense, that's why he's my pick. But will I be surprised if any of the other three guys take it home? Not at all. It's it's It comes down to stats, I think, at the end of the day. And, you know, I won't be upset if it's not Goodrich. I'll be very excited if it's Luttrell, though. So, you know, I'll be, I'll be jumping up and down at the, uh, the award show. This is one of the few awards where I could see going in a variety of different directions. We will see come Friday. Moving on, though, the rookie 
T.D. Erlen looked like he would run away with the face-off award early in the season, but the past two winners, Joe Nardella and Trevor Baptiste, kind of came roaring back. They made some serious claims in recent weeks and through the course of this postseason. My pick is Baptiste, the 2019 recipient of this award, who led the league in face-off winning percentage. But, Jordan, who do you have as the best face-off athlete in the PLL here in 2021? I am going to go against you, you and what it seems like is – the narrative and what will probably happen. I'm going to say TD Erlen. Um, okay. Look, Trevor Baptiste has had a great season by far, and this is not coming as a disrespect to him whatsoever, but their stats are almost identical, right? And TD doesn't get hurt. Um, I'm sure that his numbers are going to be higher, right? And you look at the Redwoods before TD – with TD, and then when TD gets hurt. Before TD, post-Greg, they struggled at the face-off X, right? You get TD, they are one of the most dominant teams in the league. You guys, yeah, you, I'm seeing it. You guys know. Stocks, stocks going up. Stocks going up. And then you see when TD got hurt, although Drew Simino played okay, you know, that was their Achilles heel in that mat, in that playoff matchup. And so with that being said, with this with the numbers being so identical and with T's impact, I want to give that nod to T D. And that's not to say that Trevor doesn't mean a lot to his team. Don't get me wrong. Trevor's a leader. He's what makes the Atlas go. But when I look at TD's impact on just really the success of the team as a whole, I would deem that greater than Trevor's, which is what gives me or what gives him the edge in my eyes. Before we continue on, let's look at the Rookie of the Year real quick. Obviously, Jordan has T.D. Erlen as his face-off athlete of the year, but it, this was another war, the Rookie of the Year, that it seemed like T.D. was kind of going to run away with, uh, but then all of a sudden Jeff T. kind of just showed up and joined the Alice. The rest is history. But Stephen Rafe's fourth-round pick to the Cannons is also in the mix. An argument could probably be made for Logan or Tarafenko or Jake Carraway to be in this conversation as a finalist. They are not, but Austin, this is Teats Award with without much of a doubt, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we can move on to the next one. I don't think yeah. there's any doubt, um, especially from the Canadian. I think you know what I'm going to answer here, but uh, it's fantastic. If he doesn't win the MVP, then it, that's one thing. If he doesn't win the Rookie of the Year, then I don't, I don't know. We got MVP, Rookie of the Year, Attacking of the Year. We'll get to the the uh, the latter two in a moment. But another award that we can probably say comes with very little debate is the goalie of the year as Dylan Ward played some of the best lacrosse in the league in the final few weeks of the season. Adam Gittleman was also electrifying at times. He scored a few goals, but it was Blaze Reardon who has helped carry this chaos team to the championship for a second straight season. All season he's played as the top or uh, at the top, I should say, of his game. An MVP finalist as well. Goalie of the year kind of just seems like a layup here uh, for him. But it's the midfielder of the year that I'm not too sure if we can have a clear or if we have a clear cut winner. As we have Rabel, we have Tom Schreiber, who both put together fine seasons offensively. We talked about Rabel before. We also have Brian Cospiel, who should probably be a finalist for years to come for this award. But for me, it's Zach Courier and Miles Jones, who I'm looking at as the two front runners. Courier's an MVP finalist. Jones is not, but a pretty good argument could probably be made to make him one as he put together a 32-point season, the only midfielder to score over 30 points this season and just one of four players to score at least 
30 points. But I can't overlook everything that Zach Courier does, which is why he's my midfielder of the year. Jordan, uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm leaning right there with you. Um, my thing is, is I mean, I'm just going to simplify this, right? Zach Courier can play better defense than Miles Jones. Um, you look at what they do from the offensive standpoint, they both can be the die man. They both can be that do-it-all midfielder, hit a dodge and score. Um, they both can take over games. They're both just physically bigger than a lot of their matchups. And it doesn't matter if you pull them or put a shorty on them. You know, they're they're going to find a way to win their matchup. And so I don't want to say that they're identical because their styles are so different. Um, but when you look at just kind of for differentiating factors, uh, Courier can take face-offs if you need, need it. Miles Jones doesn't. And uh, Zach Curry just plays better defense than Miles Jones. Um, be frankly honest with you, it's not a knock on Miles Jones. His game is as an offensive midfielder, and it's kind of just that bulldozer type of guy. Um, but when we're looking for differentiating factors in this ward, that's what I'm going to choose, and that's why I'll give the slight edge to Zach Courier. I look at the versatility. I look at all the things that Zach Curry can do to help my team. Obviously, Miles Jones, a phenomenal offensive midfielder. Do not get that mixed up. But we're talking about, obviously, just the, contribu the contribution and plus two, the production out of Courier puts him kind of at the top here in this conversation for this award. But we will see come Friday. Our final position award is the attackman of the year with a very large and very talented field. Rob Pinnell and Lyle Thompson, I think, are on the outside looking in. Again, it's, it's Lyle Thompson on the outside looking in, making this, in my opinion, though, a three-man race between the Archers, Grand Amen, Atlas rookie Jeff T, and the 2020 MVP, Zed Williams. For Amen, he leads the league in points with 35 and in assists with 22 in just his second pro season out of Penn State, the former first overall pick. Zed Williams is tied for the league-leading goals with Lyle Thompson with 22, but what I think separates the two is Zed's astounding 18 goals plus a two-pointer in his past four games, including the playoffs, which we'll talk much more about in a moment. But the winner of this award, in my opinion, we talked about it with the Rookie of the Year, is Jeff Teed in my eyes. I think he's everything and some to be deserving of this award. Austin, do you see it any differently? I think it's going to come down to Teed and Amen. Um, I really like Zed, and I'm probably going to get some people upset at me, but he's not the guy that initiates the offense within that team. I think we all know that it's Matt Rambo. And for me, when you look at this position, the other guys he's going up against, it sort of puts him behind the eight ball, but even with the stats, because the other guys initiate the offense, they're the quarterbacks for their team. So in that sense, I think Zed might be the odd man out. I could be completely wrong. I, I don't look at it as Zed. The, 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 he's got 20 oh, yeah. points from in his four, last four games. Yeah. Yeah, from Five a stat standpoint, you can't deny him. He's fantastic. I'm and just, he's with the team on his back. Like, if he goes out and scores six in the championship game again, will any of us be surprised? No. No, exactly. But at the same time, you also have to consider that he has one of the best, if not the best, attackmen when healthy and Matt Rambo feeding him those balls. Also, for some reason, I know I'm getting off on I'll, – I'll, I'll get to Jeff Teat in a minute. I'm getting off, off the topic here. But who the hell keeps switching off, rotating off Zed Williams every single time on faceoffs? Jordan Ardella might lead the league in assists if he just pinch and pops and then kicks it to Zed when somebody slides to him. Thank you. 
um, ridiculous. I tweeted about it during the season, but it just keeps happening. Um, hire me, hire me. I'll be a coach. That's a bad idea. I won't be a coach. Um, be that guy real quick. Just fill this MVP discussion. Hire um, me to the coaching staff just for that one little bullet point on the whiteboard, and then I'll walk out. <laughs> Don't leave Zed open. Double under underscore. Double Yeah, underline and leave. I'm good with words. Um, yeah, it has to be Teat, in my opinion. I Again, it's the same thing as a short stick. I won't be surprised if Amit wins it because he led the league in scoring, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong. He did. Yeah, yeah. okay, cool. All these off weeks out of me all jumbled. I'm all mixed up. Uh, it, it all it all comes back to the two fewer games to me. And I think mm-hmm. that's what it's going to come back to for a lot of people is if Jeff T played those extra two games, I don't want to say he'd blow Amen out of the water when it came to points. He'd certainly lead the league in points, though, because he was the guy for this Atlas offense. And he did it in so many different ways. It was off the wing. It was from X at some points. It was off, off ball cuts. It was everything. Even, I think, the last playoff game, he had a picked up a loose ball and scored a twister on the crease. Like, the guy the guy is Jay Carlson when he wants to be as well. He's just a garbage man. So, I mean, he's, he's spectacular. Uh, I keep – I think he has, like, my face pinned to, like, a board for saying that Sauer should have gone ahead of him. He just got me circled, and he's throwing darts at me every time he gets back to Brampton. Just oh, like, yeah. I know he's not – I don't know if he's in Brampton. He wouldn't be because he can't cross the border. But you know what I mean. Um, so, yeah, it's it's Jeff T for me. It could be Amen. I wouldn't be upset about it. Um, but I think he was too dominant this season to prove otherwise that you can't give him this award. And what what an accomplishment for T if it does happen. At Rookie of the year. I mean, I think if you give him the MVP, then you have to give him the attackman of the year and the rookie of the wow. year by, de- by default. See, this but, is where I differ from you. No, you're good. I think that they're both qualified, but yeah. I think I, my gut tells me that whoever wins MVP, the yeah. other guy is going to win Attackman of the Year. Okay. And then yeah, that makes sense. Circle and T for Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Um, just not even taking out the stats. I just I just got that gut feeling that that's just how it's going to go. You know, whoever w- yeah. wins MVP is just going to win MVP. I don't see that kind of double award taking, except for the yeah. case of T with potentially MVP, rookie, whichever yeah. one he gets plus rookie of the year. We've yeah, seen it in, in especially the NFL, like a guy will yeah. win the MVP, but somebody else, like a running back, would win the offensive player of the year. So we've yeah. seen that before. So that, that's definitely, I don't think, uh, out of, the, out of uh, something that we could see. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's out of the question at all. I'm just thinking sort of like, in a standpoint, like if he's your most valuable player, then he's probably the most valuable player yeah. in his position. Right. But I, I'm not voting on the award, so I don't have any say in this. This is just me, again, sort of like T throwing darts at my face. I'm just throwing darts at a dart. We're, we're just tossing darts out. Obviously, yeah. we made a handful <laughs> of picks here. We're hoping they come true. Obviously. Yeah. If they don't I, come I true, be, they don't come true. I could be completely wrong about every single pick. I'd be okay with that because I, I didn't have a say in things. I'm just a guy that looks silly on the internet. This That's my job. The attackman of the year obviously sets up this MVP discussion as we just kind of had because we have three attackmen in this MVP pool. Amen, the league leader in points and assists, who Austin did have as his uh, MVP there kind of in the middle of the season. T is the league leader in average points per game, as we were just talking about there before. And Thompson, who finished the season tied for the league lead in goals with 20 Two. We also have midfielder Zach Courier, the do-it-all midfielder that helped lead the Water Dogs to the first overall seed and the semifinals. And we also have Blaze Reardon, who saved just over 60% of the shots he faced 
this season carriers team back to the championship guys and as as much as I want to pick Courier here just because as as a former midfielder kind of who played in that similar role I know you're laughing because we had this conversation before I appreciate the athlete that you need to be to stay on the field and grind like that it's 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 just incredible the work that he puts in plus the production on both the offensive end and the defensive end but as we just said I think this is a two-man race it's either the rookie Jeff T and honestly my prediction for goalie of the year and, and our prediction for goalie of the year, Blaze Reardon. And my prediction is that we will see the first goalie since Greg Catrano in 2002 to win the MVP award. Give it to Blaze Jordan. What do you think? I'm going to go Jeff T. And it's going to be the same argument that I made with TD Arlen. Where was your team before and where, and where are they with you? And you look at the Atlas, you could argue that they were a dumpster fire before Jeff T got there. Even with that, getting that week two win over the Redwoods, we really didn't know what kind of team this Atlas team was going to be at that time. A lot of people thought that was going to be a flute game. Well, in comes Jeff T, and all of a sudden things get flowing on offense, and they start playing with a little bit of swagger, and then they get a little chip on their shoulder, and then they keep it running. And then you just got this little guy, Jeff T, who's scoring, you know, casual six points a game, and out of all the voices in the locker room, he's the most quiet. Um, oh, yeah. Just going about his business, scoring his casual few points a game, and changing, really changing the outlook for the Atlas here in the future. Because, you know, let's just say that there's more border issues and, you know, he doesn't play this year. You know, the Atlas might win a few more games, but we're still looking at this team as still a quote-unquote rebuild team. With Teed in there, they were, you know, once Teed got going, everybody knew it was like the narrative changed. This is a dangerous team. Watch out. You don't want to see them. And so this same argument I made for TD holds true for uh, Jeff Teed. I mean, you could make it for Zach Curry or two, especially looking at the water dogs in the bubble. But I'm going to look at Teet's impact as being greater, especially having done it as a rookie. Jordan's got Teet. I got Blaze winning the MVP. Austin, who do you who do you have as your MVP award winner? I have Teet. Um, I think, you know, <laughs> I think I'll say one thing, and it's just I, I think Jordan touched on it really well, so I, I won't touch too much on Teet. I think just to play devil's advocate, if we've talked about this on previous episodes, but if you want to take the definition literally of the most valuable player to his team, there's a case to be made for Teat, but I think if you're looking at it like that, it it's, could be Blaze or Zach Courier, um, just for how they dominated their respective parts of the game. I think it'll be Teat because I think, as we've talked about before, these awards generally come down to production and not necessarily, you know, the eye test and how guys look. Obviously, Blaze passes the eye test with all the flying colors, not an issue at all. Um, but, you know, just just something to keep in mind, like if, if they go away from the stats and just take it as who was the guy that was most important to his team, there's a very good case to be made for either of those guys. But I'm going to go Teed as well just because i Canadian guy. I'm not going to not going to do that again. I'm not going to bet against Jeff Teed again. Austin did in an article for the league. He had Grant Amen there pegged as his uh, MVP, I believe, in like week six, week seven. Yeah, um, it, was a, it was a little bit early. It was um, – I think it was All-Star week we yeah. did those. And uh, yeah, Jeff T made me look bad again, but I mean, Amen didn't fall off the fall off the side of a cliff either. So, way she goes. 
Austin and Jordan got Jeff Teeth. I have Blaze Reardon. We will see come Friday who wins these awards. The MVP, obviously, one that we are highlighting. And before we get to this championship matchup, to wrap things up, we got the coach of the year. And we have two great candidates in Water Dogs head coach Andy Copeland and Atlas head coach Ben Rubier. The case for Rubier, he began a massive overhaul back in February and continued it throughout the spring, trading away names like Paul Rabel, Rob Pinnell, and Ryan Brown. He cleaned house and brought in an almost overturned roster headlined by youth, especially Jeff T, guys like Danny Logan, Dox Aiken, uh, Jake Carraway. That went on to clinch uh, the number two overall seed going into the playoffs and get all the way to the semifinals. For Copeland, it was also a busy offseason as he acquired Ryan Brown, Dylan Ward, and Eli Gobrek through trades. He rebuilt his defense in the entry draft, and he also added a couple stud offensive pieces, including second overall pick Mike Sowers, who didn't play much this season. But those pieces all helped put his team at the top of the league heading into the playoffs. Two very impressive resumes. I applaud the work done by both to improve on what were pretty disappointing seasons for both in 2020. My selection goes to Ben Rubier solely because he'll also pick second overall in the 2022 college draft by way of the Paul Rabel trade back in February, along with their first round pick that they already have. So more of a selection based on this season plus a little GM work there by, by Coach Rubier to set his team up uh, for more success coming uh, next season and next offseason. But, Austin, who do you see as this season's Coach of the Year? It's got to be Rubier or Copeland, right? Like, uh, it's got to be one of those two. They, their teams were too good to, to go against them. But, yeah, it's hard to bet against a team that made it to the Final Four and is also picking top three in the draft the next year. Um, I've talked, I, f- I feel like, on previous shows about what Saskatchewan and Georgia do in the NLL and Saskatchewan winning an NLL title and then picking first overall the next year. It's just, it's like that. It's just that success as well as that asset management is really impressive from a coach in this sense, uh, who also does, you know, the dual GM role in Ben, Ben Ruby or, um, you know, the moves he made picking up Jake Carraway, getting Doc's ache and those guys in the draft, it, it turned their team around overnight and Michael Rexroad was a fantastic pickup, you know, getting JD Colarusso to back up. Everything he's done has worked. And maybe it's, you know, a circumstance of, you know, you don't quite know how these moves are going to pan out. You have an idea with these guys. Maybe everything fell in his favor. Who knows? Um, but he put himself and his team in the position to succeed, which is why he deserves this award. He went out and traded there in the offseason. What I thought was was really uh, just just smart maneuvering there by Coach Rubier. In the Rob Pinnell trade, he got the third overall entry draft selection here in this uh, in March's entry draft. But in that Paul Rabel trade, he traded what was the sixth overall pick in that draft to the Cannon. So he made a trade, got a, some more college draft selections. He moved up in the entry draft while also doing that. And then obviously all these moves, Danny Logan was a name that when he got drafted, we were all kind of like Danny Logan. Like we didn't expect his name uh, to be called, especially with Ryan Tarafanko's name still out there. Danny Logan pans out uh, to be one of the best team or one of the best players, I should say, at his position in the league. Uh, so definitely uh, Ben Rubier among, I would say, you know, obviously one of the candidates we have him begged as the winner of this coach of the year. Jordan, who do you have here as your coach of the year? I'm right there with you. I, you know, I joke about it. Ben Rubier, Bob the Builder, can you fix it? Um, he literally, <laughs> I know it's corny as hell, but, uh, you know, he literally took this team, I'll say essentially from scratch and did it the way he wanted it. And for as much shit as he got around the league for 
why are you doing this? You know, are you ahead of yourself and whatnot? And even after week one, you know, myself, a lot of people were questioning, like, what the hell are you doing? And is this really going to work? And it did. And he had a plan. He had a vision. He stuck with it. He stuck to his guts, even if it meant, you know, getting rid of egos and, you know, maybe having some guys that you could have argued on paper before the year that, you know, were more talented than others. And he left them out of the lineup because he knew what kind of uh, style of play he wanted. And, you know, the Atlas had that model of family style. And, you know, it shows not only in their on-the-field play, but just in the, you know, the term egoless clarity. Um, you know, being able, you know, they have a bunch of guys that are able to sit there and realize that, hey, you know, maybe, you know, we're not the greatest, but how can we come together as a team and drop our egos for the betterment of one another. And that starts at the top with Rubier and his mindset. So that's, in my opinion, what gives Rubier the edge. And then even if you want to go more technical, I don't think the water dogs were as far off as a lot of people made them off to be in the bubble. Um, so that with that being said, not that it was less work for say, but the talent was there for Andy Copeland, as opposed to, kind of Rubier choosing to go to the route of clean house. Uh, Copeland had a lot of these same veterans. It was just a matter of getting, putting the right pieces with them, getting them to mesh as opposed to sort of the job that Rubier had to do. Absolutely. And definitely, uh, you know, thinking, thinking about Rubier as well. I mean, this is, you know, he, he put this team together really, as you said, you know, he kind of pinpointed kind of who he wanted he lost a defensive coordinator over the offseason because of those selections, some of those selections that he made through uh, the beginning of the offseason, some of those trades that he was making through the beginning of the offseason. So even battling through adversity there uh, through the start of, of really this 2021 season, Ben Rubier gets all of our votes for this Coach of the Year award, and we will see obviously on Friday night how that all unfolds. So make sure to be paying attention to the league's social media come Friday night. Also, the Lacrosse Flash Twitter will be talking all about the awards as they get announced. And hopefully info on somewhere to watch, hopefully some sort of stream so that we can watch from home as the league awards and recognizes the best players of the 2021 season. But let's talk about this championship game again, scheduled for this Sunday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, as the Whipsnakes and Chaos will meet in Washington, D.C., with a title on the line as Whipsnakes, led by head coach Jim Stagnita, seek their third consecutive title, trying to remain as the only team to win a PLL championship in the league's first three seasons. And the chaos led by head coach Andy Towers, who was kind enough to join us a few weeks ago ahead of his team's semifinal game. They look to join the Whipsnakes as the second team to win a title and avenge that 2020 championship game loss in the 2020 championship series to these Whipsnakes and just a little by the numbers here before we get going. The Whipsnakes come in as point-and-a-half favorites, which they've covered in their previous four meetings with the Chaos. The over-under is set at 23-and-a-half points. And ahead of the 21 playoffs, all the points were stacked against both of these teams as the league fan vote on the league website saw only 10% of fans picking the Whipsnakes to win the title and just 3.2% picking the Chaos, which kind of made sense mathematically as just over – 30% of fans picked the Archers, which was the most of any team. And the Archers played the Chaos in the first round. So right there, that's 31.6% of brackets that had the Chaos eliminated there right from the start. So 
kind of mathematically making sense. The second most picked team was the Water Dogs at 18.2%, and the Whipsnakes had to beat them to get to the uh, semifinals and to the championship. But both teams have gone here, Austin, really against all uh, a lot of odds, even though the Whipsnakes were being pegged by the odds makers as favorites coming in. The chaos, not so much, but both teams defying odds here to get to this championship game. Yeah, um, I don't think we really expected the five and six seeds to be here, but here we are. I mean, it, it is it is what it is. Um, I think we, you know, we know the chaos has really taken that chip and put it, you know, it's on their shoulder. We know this from the games that the three percent and the seven or the thirteen percent, all that. And you know, Dane, I talked to Dane Smith about it, and he sort of joked it off. You know, he's been one of the guys on social that's been pretty, you know, actively joking around about it. But it is what it is. It's just something that uh you know it's just words at the end of the day sorry i'm i'm a little all over the place um i think when it comes to this game i'll try and keep it short um because i feel like i've i i've probably talked your off about this matchup for too long ryan um you know chaos remembers what happened last year and they're definitely taking that and using it as fuel for this championship from what i've heard from andy towers and dane as well you know you don't want to focus on what went wrong last year, but you also can't ignore it. It was a nine, nothing fourth quarter for the whip snakes. And they went on to win that game. You can't just say, Oh, we're, we're going to move on from that. No, you got buried in that fourth quarter. All due respect to the chaos, but nine, nothing quarter is a rough way to go out in a championship game. So they're, they're going to be mad. They're going to be fired up. They have the guys to do it. I think that team last year pales in comparison to this team this year. They have Johnny Serdick back on defense. Jack Rowlett looks fantastic. Troy Ray has been really good. Blaze has been Blaze. I don't even need to talk about him. Max Adler stepped up, which has been fantastic. That's been the biggest thing for them in this whole run is Max Adler stepping up and being what Andy Towers thought he was going to be when he got him in the entry draft. And then the offense is just the offense. I mean, it's 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 the two-man games. It's the pick picking pickers. That's really weird saying. I don't love it. It sounds really weird to come off the tongue, but picking pickers. Um, is a very Canadian thing in that two-man and three-man game that they run is fantastic. The trips and twins set. I know Joe Keegan broke it down on the PLL site. It just it suits their game. And you see Dane has 12 points in two games. You see Kyle Jackson step up. You see guys like Ryan Smith and Tanner Cook come through. Josh Burns been exactly the same. Everyone's firing at the right time, and that's what you need to be a good championship team. I'm not going to touch on the whips. I say it every episode I'm on here. They are very good at lacrosse, and that's all I need to say. They are very good at lacrosse. Chaos, though, has the team, and they remember what happened last year. So I think it's going to be a very competitive game in, you know, what what the PLL is saying is going to be the most attended game in league history. The Whipsnakes do come into this game as the favorite as they look to get their sixth victory over the Chaos as they have a 5-1 and one win-loss record coming in head-to-head. Most recently back in week one of this season when the Whipsnakes Jumped out to a big early lead, uh, ten to one at halftime, and they held on. Took down the chaos, thirteen to seven. Joe Nardella dominated, going sixteen of twenty-two with a goal and an assist. But Blaze Reardon, in Blaze Reardon fashion, made nineteen saves in a loss, turning away sixty-one percent of the shots that he faced. And as we all know, the championship game from a year ago, Zed Williams went off for six goals in a nine-goal fourth quarter during the. Group play of the championship series, Zed scored another four goals and Nardella dominated. And then looking even further, the 2019 quarterfinals as the two seed, the Whipsnakes took down the Chaos, who were the one seed, 15-7. to seven. They got a free trip to the championship game, did the Whipsnakes, and as we all know, went on to beat the Redwoods. But over the last two seasons, in those three games, 
Zed Williams has done some disastrous things against this chaos defense. He scored 14 goals on 37 shots. And really what's even more remarkable is his play right now, which we talked about before. Coming into this game, Zed Williams in his last four games, two regular season, two playoff games, has scored 18 goals plus a two-pointer, which makes five points in a game in five points, I should say, per game in his last four games. Jordan, how does this chaos defense who decided to triple pull the Atlas midfield uh, just two weekends ago, how do they slow down Zed Williams in this Whipsnakes offense that's flanked by another former MVP? You also have weapons there all over this offense. Well, you know, I think this year compared to the bubble, I mean, Audie, you touched on it, uh, the addition of Johnny Cernick. And I'm not just saying that because he's an Odinson guy. Um, you know, he gives them options, right? We saw Zed frankly, give Jack Rowlett fits. And, you know, I think early on and knowing Jack Rowlett's personality, he's going to want to go at Zed um, right off the bat. But if Zed starts giving him fits again, I think having the addition of Johnny Cernick allows them to open things up within the defense. And even Jared Newman, as of late, you know, has gotten better as a cover guy. And, you know, he's proved that he can do that at least – well enough to win you games in the past. And at the end of the day, that's all you need. Um, I'm interested to see who gets the Rambo matchup, right? Is it because I'm going to assume get coming out of the gates, it's probably going to be uh, Rowlett on Zed. I'm interested to see if they go Cernic on Rambo or right off the bat, or if they, or if they sort of give Jared Newman the reins to go at Rambo again. Um, Cause you know, I'm going to be frankly honest. If, Rambo draws Jared Newman early on. I think that's a matchup he can exploit, especially from a feeding perspective, because, you know, now with Gutty in the mix, you know, you, do you short, do you realistically put a short stick on Gutty? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know that's uh, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, I pick a poison. Right. It's exactly, you got to pick your poison. And, People, I and I'm gonna on to my next point. Um, the Whips midfielders are so underrated. Uh, the two, and I'm gonna say the quote unquote short stick defenses mid, middies. I'm just gonna say that they're the two best two way middies in the world, in Bernhardt and Matt Abbott. And once again, on offense, I think they're gonna play a huge role. I think a guy like Bernhardt, who hasn't played as much offense this year out of necessity. Um, out of necessity on defense, uh, has a chance to really kind of be an X factor in this game, right? Um, they have Glacini and Resch, but uh, the chaos do. But I really think, you know, with everything going on down there with Rambo and Zed and whatnot, the chaos are going to keep in on those guys hard, especially out of the gates. I think it opens things up for guys like Matt Abbott, guys like Jake Bernhardt. Maybe we see sort of a breakout game again from Mike Chan and Chuck. I think those midfielders, despite having despite maybe a guy like Mike Chan and Chuck having a down year, we all know what he can do from two. And maybe that goes a little bit unnoticed. I mean, I know knowing that chaos team, they're going to be prepared for everything. But if you're sort of looking at open holes to be had, I think that's that keep an eye on that whips midfield, especially early on is that it, we all know that attack is going to draw attention. Uh, so just keep an eye out. Definitely this Whipsnakes offense, this Whipsnakes uh, midfield especially loaded, a name you did not mention there, 
Brad Smith, and we talked about Brian Costabile. We talked about Brian Costabile before, kind of being in that midfield of the year conversation. I feel like he's going to be in that conversation for many, many years to come. Brad Smith right next to him, a guy that we could see uh, become. I, I, I think I read a feature just, just today or just yesterday. Uh, I yep. believe U.S. Lacrosse Magazine put together a great feature there on Brad Smith. Another name that you know you could look at as being a guy that could help transcend this sport, obviously, on the playing field and also off, off the field as well. But matching up defensively, this should be a task that I feel like Andy Towers is up for, looking to slow down and try to stop Zed Williams and Matt Rambo and then trying to account for Jay Carlson. And, oh, wait, as we said before, Justin Gutterding's out there too. Where did he come from? An absolute loaded uh, weaponry here for this Whipsnakes offense. Definitely a tough task if you're Andy Copeland and Ryan Curtis. And Max Adler will also have a tough uh, tough task ahead of him in trying to slow down Joe Nardella, who comes into this championship game winning 62% of his faceoffs in his last four games. And in last year's championship game, Nardella won 12 of 19 draws against Tommy Kelly, who has not been on a team since week four of this season. But then back in week one, Nardella won 16 of 22 with a goal and an assist against Adler. And Austin, we're expecting this faceoff battle to definitely be one to watch. Definitely, we're thinking be a tighter battle. But how does Adler and this chaos face-off unit slow down Nardella and prevent what happened a season ago when he went on a tear come the fourth quarter when there were finally face-offs really to be won. And then we talked about it before. Zed Williams scored six goals, nine goal fourth quarter. How did the uh, chaos avoid that this time around? I think in the championship game last year, I know one of the goals to, I was watching the broadcast back was Andy Towers wanted to make it a three-man scrap. I think the Water Dogs are obviously the example of a team that does that every single time with Jake Withers. So you look at that and you see how you can sort of exploit that matchup with Joe Nardella. At the same time, you know, with all due respect to Wiz, Max Adler is obviously a little bit better on the clamp than Wiz is. So you're not just, you know, raking the ball out and turning it into a three-man scrum in some occasions. The good thing is Max Adler's really turned it on at the right time. And I talked about that with the team. This is a guy that's really turned it around, and we know how important face-off play is, especially in the field game. He's huge. It, this is a make-or-break matchup in this game. It, it's the difference between, you know, a couple goals. The margin's going to be so slim in this game, I think. You're not going to see the whips run away with it like they did at the end last year. It's going to come down to – well, sorry. They won't run away with it this year if Max Adler can stop Joe Nardella from being Joe Nardella. If that doesn't happen, it's probably going to be a field day for the Whipsnakes because that's what happened last year with that 9-0 run. Chaos couldn't get the ball back, and they ended 9-0 to end the, end the game and end the championship. If Matt, if Adler can you know, cut that, I don't want to even say in half, if you can just take a couple extra possessions away, you don't want to put too much expectation to say you need to go out and be 65% against Joe Nardella. No, no, no. You want to aim for 50% is your sweet spot. Anything more than that, you're playing with house money at that point because you're giving your team extra possessions against the Whipsnakes. So, in short, Adler, very important. Nardella, stopping Nardella, very important. Um, that's going to be the matchup of the game. You know, Blaze can stop as many balls as you want. What he can't do is stop every single shot if you're giving them extra possessions. And that's going to be the case whether, you know, Chaos come home with their first championship, or we're talking about the Whips being three-time champs a week from now. 
the Chaos have not beaten the Whipsnakes since 2019, the inaugural season. It came in their second of three matchups that season in Week 7 when the Chaos held on to a 13-12 win. It's been four straight losses against the Whipsnakes since then and all by pretty wide margin. So we'll see if the Chaos can change that. They're led by Dane Smith in the midfield and Josh Byrne on the attack. Byrne registered four goals and an assist in the semifinals against the Atlas, while Smith put up monster performances in both of these playoff games. He scored two goals, a two-pointer, and two assists against the Archers in the quarterfinals, and he also had a hat-trick and goals and assists in the semifinals against the Atlas. Totaling, as Austin said before, 12 playoff points in two games compared to his 20 and nine games during the regular season. Austin, how do these two guys stay hot while also trying to factor in the other weapons here on this chaos offense that have come up big as well here in recent weeks? I think in talking to, I talked to Tim Sudan uh, for a story I'm doing on Dane and I asked him, how do you stop Dane? And he basically said, you don't, there's no way of stopping Dane. And it's hilarious. Sudo was laughing when he was telling me this because Dane doesn't switch hands. He's righty dominant. He's very Canadian, but his S dodge is so good. That's what Sudo said. His S dodge is so good that you can't completely take away his right hand because he's just going to switch not to his left. He's going to switch to his backhand and run around you and then switch back to his forehand and throw it in. Um, I think, yeah, Dane's finding his confidence. They had him inverted from X a little bit during that last game against the Atlas. He scored two goals from behind X at X, excuse me. So I think, you know, you can't really stop him. He's going to get his points. I don't think he's going to go for six again. Again, clip that if he does and just hold on to it for future use. Um, but, you know, if he scores maybe three, I think that'd be a very good game. Even if he just puts up a couple goals or, you know, a couple helpers. He led the team in assists, so he's much more of a, a feeder than he is a goal scorer. But he can still pitch in goals. Um, I don't know how you stop this chaos offense. Because when they're on a roll like this, they're very hard to stop. And they're very peculiar, the offense. Not, teams don't know how to account for this Canadian style. Obviously, the Whips did a very good job in week one, but this is a very different chaos team that they're seeing now as opposed to the first game of the year so how do you stop them or how do you how do they stay hot i'm sorry was your question they they just keep doing what they're doing um you keep winning the trips and twin sets and you keep you know getting off ball cuts doing the things that make made you successful and got you to this spot in the first place um how do you stop them i, I don't really know uh i'm not an x's and o's guy but I'm sure if there's a guy that can figure it out, it's Jim Stagnitas. So we'll uh, we'll see how it goes on uh, Sunday. Trying to improve that record there, as we're saying, against the Chaos. 2-6-1, and one, obviously, this two-time defending championship. Uh, Whipsnakes defense, they've been able to hold this Chaos offense in check. But as we're saying, this is a completely different Chaos offense. And then for the Whipsnakes, they're going to be led into this game by goalie Brian Phipps in place of Kyle Burnlore, as we saw uh, there in the semifinals against the Water Dogs. So, Definitely things changing. We'll see, though, if the Chaos offense can stay high, if this Whipsnakes defense can try to counter. And one area, really, that the Chaos have particularly been deadly in these playoffs is in the transition game. And it was especially put on display against the Atlas in those semifinals as Costabile scored a two-point goal. He also had another goal in transition. And Troy Ray buried a two to help power the, the, uh, the Chaos excuse me, over the Atlas. Something that I'd imagine Coach Dagnita, his staff, and really – this whole team, offense and defense, have been uh, kept up all you know at night, all week, preparing uh, and prepping for this game. Jordan, how do the Whipsnakes counter this and try to eliminate 
the quick chaos transition that we've seen here in the last couple of weeks? Well, I think it starts with, you know, A, we know the Whoops have struggled this both offensively and defensively transitionally. Uh, another week of rest helps a guy like Michael Earhart, who's just going to be the facilitator, kind of leader of that transition for the Whips, especially defensively. Um, so I, I think it starts with him, and then it goes within their shorties, whether it's a guy like Bernhardt, who's really – just a body stopper. You know, we talk about Mark Lassini blocking shots, but I don't think people give Jake Bernhardt enough credit on deep for his play on defense. Just as kind of, it's kind of more of the, I don't want to say like the annoying bug on defense, right? You get covered by him and he's got so many tricks in his bag by now um, to where, you know, defensively, I think he's a very underrated defender, like I said. And I think that's going to be the key to stopping the chaos transition is you have to stop it early, right? Because if you give guys like Troy Ray, Ian McKay, CJ Costabile, even Jared Newman, any type of space, really once they get past that midfield line, you know, they can all of those guys can shoot from anywhere. So I think it's really going to start that right there in that middle of the field with the guys like, um, like Earhart, Bernhardt, Abbott, who plays defense at an elite level, who's played defense at a championship level at that. Uh, a guy like Squires, who's filled in nicely for the Whip Snakes, can, can kind of be that guy to spell a guy like er Earhart. Um, so I think it's really – it starts in the middle of the field because if you let the chaos, especially their poles, get past that midfield line with the ball, uh, good luck. <laughs> It's going to definitely be a matchup game as the Whip Snakes. Uh, really stopping this transition, I think, is a key here uh, if they want to win this game. And we're very excited for it as the PLL wraps up its third season and its second full season from Washington, D.C. as the road to D.C. comes to an end. And before we wrap up today's show, let's make some picks for Sunday's game. I'll start with the over-under. 23.5 points is the number. I like the under. The last three meetings between these two teams has hit this under, and I see this one leaning low scoring. Uh, but before I make my game selection, I'll let each of you guys go first. Austin, championship game, whip snakes and chaos. Who do you got on this one? I might have to see Andy Towers in person, so there isn't a chance in hell I'm picking the chaos. So let me go with the whips. It's been a ton of fun making picks this season and doing these shows, and we'll continue everything into next week as we wrap up the 2021 PLL season and begin to look ahead to the NLL season come this December. But, Jordan, your PLL champion, is it a three-peat for the Whip Snakes, or do we see the chaos pull the upset and become the second team to hoist the PLL title in the league's history? I know this is going to go the opposite way of how I say because that's just how these things go. But I'm going to go with the Whip Snakes uh, <laughs> in a one-goal game. <clears throat> it seems like you, you opposite of how we want this thing to go. You're kind of implying that it's going to be the chaos. Austin clearly implying that he wants the chaos here with this Whip Snakes pick as we strictly out of fear. Just a couple weeks ago, told us to continue picking against his team. And my selection will be the final one here of the season. As much as the numbers are telling me to pick the Whip Snakes, as we said before, they're five and one in this matchup. They've been playing red hot here over the last couple weeks. All signs are literally pointing to the Whip Snakes. But I got to pick the chaos. I did it last week. They got a huge win against the Atlas to get to this point. I picked them this last year in the way. championship game. They didn't come through, but they did 
for those first three quarters. I expect this to be a tight game, fairly low scoring, but for the chaos to come out on top, that's how I see it. Austin, you'll be in D.C. at this game. Any final thoughts here ahead of Sunday as uh, we wrap this thing up? I feel like we've been doing a lot of talking over the last couple of weeks. I'm just looking forward to getting to lacrosse, to be honest with you. <laughs> Jordan, final thoughts here as uh, we wrap up this GLE ahead of the PLL championship game. Right there with you. All these bye weeks and stuff. I just want to see a lacrosse game. And it sucks <laughs> that it's going to be the last one of the season. Definitely going to be unfortunate as we're going to start looking ahead to PLL year four very, very soon. Obviously, the NLL season in front of us as well. But Austin, Jordan, I want to thank you both for joining me today as we look ahead to the semifinal round of the Premier Lacrosse League playoffs. And that is going to do it for today's show. I want to thank you all for watching and or listening. If you are not already, make sure to subscribe to Goal Line Extended and Lacrosse Flash on YouTube, hit that notification bell so that you get notified of future shows. You can also follow along on Instagram and Twitter at GL Extended and at Lacrosse Flash. All the links that you will need will be in the description of the video or podcast that you are watching or listening right now. And make sure to head on over to lacrosseflash.com. You can check out all of our content looking ahead to this Sunday's championship game. And I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the PLL championship, and we'll be back on Tuesday to recap it all on the PLL Flash. Cheers and enjoy the weekend. Go Chaos. You guys got the Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at GL Extended and subscribe to the show on any of your favorite podcast outlets. You can find Lacrosse Flash on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and online at lacrosseflash.com.